Kitty, come here and produce. All right, we are recording, right? We are recording. It is time to record. All right. With my 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 silly sweetened tea. Gotta make do with what you've got. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your list, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Should we uh, should we introduce our podcast? Let's introduce a podcast. Introduced. It's <laughs> uh, cool. Here we it's go cool. again. <laughs> You know, we're never going to get it right. I think that I think the day we get it right is probably going to be the day this podcast ends. <laughs> I think it gives people the right expectation though. Like we're not perfect. Our information is not perfect. We're not scholars. We're not, you know, coming at you with an academic essay. Like we're just here to tell you about some cool people that we discovered that we want to like, you know, talk about a little bit. This podcast is exact it's just we turn mics on for a conversation that Hannah and I would have if we had just naturally discovered a woman be like, oh, my God, did you hear? Do you know this person? They're crazy. And let me yep. tell you what I've learned. I mean, that's kind of how the podcast was born. Yeah. Was out of the fact that we were doing that But now we anyway. orchestrate it by actually seeking out people to talk about. But yeah. anyway. So if you're here for anything else, um, that's the expectation you should have. And in our show notes, we put the time code where... The you discussion about the woman starts. Our intro. If you want to like avoid our outro, you know exactly when all of it begins and ends. That's right. We try and be as as yeah conscientious about that as, as possible. Possible. With all that said, this is a podcast about ladies. It is called Good Witches, Bad Bitches, Damn and straight. I'm Deanna. I'm Hannah, and we are your silly hosts through this <laughs> journey. That's that that says it. I think. I would like to point out that while we're not a scholarly podcast, even though you and I stumble over our shit, we are very highly educated women. Thank you very much. I mean, you know. With strong opinions. You may be a little bit more so than me, but, um, I've spent a lot more money on my education. (laughs) You sounded just like, what's her name? Bellamy Young? The the woman who was on Scandal, who played the president's wife. Oh, she has she has a tendency to be like, and like I'll create these like beautiful like low growling moments. You sounded just like her just then. Well, okay, you're welcome. Okay, exactly. <laughs> I love her. Anyway, I love a lot of people. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. So.
so you've got somebody to tell me about, and we're going to kind of skip our normal yeah. random intro yeah. moment, because you've got some good info for me. I do, and I'm really excited, um, because, so we're continuing with Black History Month, and so my thought process with uh, the person I chose today is is not even twofold, it's like multifold, there's like many reasons why, um, but... Number one, so the Oscars happened a couple weeks ago, and I remember having conversations with you when the um, nominees were announced and we were kind of super pissed off. I think we talked about it on this podcast, maybe, about Probably. the lack of female representation and specifically women of color yep. um, in many of the nominations. And there were plenty of, of women of color and women um, to just have the qualifications and the films that should have been getting nominated. So that pissed me off. Um, but then I started thinking about, you know, it's black history. So should my focus be on the history that informs us? And then I kind of came to this conclusion about highlighting someone who is helping to shed light on history and is a storyteller with a point of view um, that is kind of like what we do, but much better. Oh. <laughs> like better, like well-researched. She has strong opinions and is very thoughtful and smart and cool. And so, yeah, I want to, I want to, there's many reasons why. Um, All right. So you'll probably guess based on this intro. Uh-oh. Who it may be. Okay. Okay. So this person. She won the directing award in the U.S. Dramatic Competition at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival for her second feature film, becoming the first black woman to win the award. Oh. She became the first black woman to be nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Director, and also the, burst, the first black female director to have her film nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. In uh -oh. 2017, she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Uh-oh. In 2018, she became the first black woman to direct a live-action film with a budget of over $100 million. Uh-oh. And that film also made her the first black American woman to direct a film that earned at least $100 million domestically. Yes, 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 yes. Who am I talking about, Hannah? Ava DuVernay. I am! Yes! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, shit. I could not have... Uh, I could not have expected that at all. I'm glad I picked the other person I picked now. Because mm. I Especially don't know that there's competing. We like went to breakfast and we're talking about movies. It, it, movies and directors and people who get their voices heard in this industry. And right now, the troubling things about like what people are are able to just network and not do anything else. Spoiler alert, it's usually just people with money right now. Right. Um, and a lot of times that tends to be cis white dudes. Yep. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's why I want to talk about a woman of color who is like a powerhouse director and creator. And anyway, I just want I just want to just delve into it. Good. So <laughs> she's prolific, too. I mean. All right. So my sources this week um, are a Washington Post article written by Jeff Edgers. And I just will point out that Jeff Edgers also has a podcast I noted called Edge of Fame. Ooh, cool. So that seems like it could be interesting. Yeah. Um, a Smithsonian Magazine article by Jasmine Ward. Ooh. And a Guardian article by interview article by Jake Nevins and then Wikipedia. And Jasmine Ward is an author. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She is a, a really great award-winning writer. She wrote a really lovely, lovely 
piece on Ava DuVernay. And oh. um, a lot of it, um, I didn't include much of it because it's it's her editorializing the way uh, Ava DuVernay can, contributes to her life and uh, to the black community because presumably Jasmine Ward is a, a black yes. author. Yep. Because she was saying, this is what she does for us and this is blah, blah. So if I were reading that, it would be really not accurate. I understand. And so it didn't feel like it was my place to yeah give that. So go look up her article. We'll link to it okay. in the show notes. Um, so here we go. Yes. Ava DuVernay makes art that looks squarely at society and takes it to task. She is fearless, despite working in an industry that hasn't seen many black women who direct, write, or maintain career longevity. Mass incarceration is important to me. The fracturing of the black family structure is important to me. The trauma of history on the black family unit is really important to me, she says. She makes films because she wants to foster beauty in the world, because she wants to stir strong emotion in her viewers, but her art is also a weapon which she wields carefully and lovingly because she believes in fighting for justice and fighting for good. She is taking the things important to her, representations of family, representations of black womanhood, representations of good over evil, and crafting stories of fallible people who we love. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg grew up making short films with his father's 8mm camera. J.J. Abrams wrote a screenplay in college that made it to the big screen. Ava DuVernay had her dolls. Oh, didn't we all? <laughs> she's a Virgo. That's my Mm-mm. addition. She's right on the cusp of Leo Virgo, but she's a Virgo. Ooh, the um, cusp of Leo Virgo. I can see both of, of that in her. It makes a lot for a director. And, yeah. um, she was born in the early 1970s in Long Beach, California. All right. Uh, in their small house in Linwood. So they moved to Linwood, which is actually, like, it's all in the same area. There's, like, Compton, Long Beach, Linwood. So she says she's from Compton because Linwood is kind of right there as a part of that. Oh, interesting. Because everything kind of bleeds together in L.A. But um, as far as I can tell. Right, Alex? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) In their small house in Linwood, California, Ava would recruit her sisters, Gina and Tara, to play Barbies on Saturday mornings. The family couldn't afford doll accessories. So if the girls wanted something approximating Barbie's dune buggy, they had to do it out of a shoebox. It was serious stuff. (laughs) Quote, it was like, this side of, is my side of the room. This is your side, says DuVernay. Then the story started. My mom would go to work, come back on a Saturday, and we were still on the floor playing. DuVernay got her surname, but not much else, from her biological father. Mm-hmm. She doesn't talk about him or his marriage to her mother, Darlene, which she says was abusive. He is, she says, a stranger to her. Mm-hmm. It was her stepfather, Murray May, who died in 2016, whom she called Pops. He had a carpet and flooring business and was as soft-spoken as the California-born Darlene was a social spark plug. <laughs> the girls would watch in half-amused awe every morning as he ironed his jeans before heading to no. work. Oh, no. <laughs> Darlene May, just 18 when she had Ava, worked as a bank teller, a human resources manager, and ran a preschool as she raised her daughters. All three at once? I think so. Oh, my God. I don't know if it was like... Over the course of the time or all at once, but that's still a lot. Um, She taught them the sorts of lessons you wouldn't find in a Girl Scout manual. Gina, the middle sister, remembers one time they went to IHOP for breakfast and a man came out of the bathroom distressed, naked, and collapsed on the floor. Instead of shielding her children, Darlene darted over with her leather coat, covered the man up until help arrived. Whoa. No manager did that. No employee did that, says Gina, now the special collections librarian at Alabama State University. 
And anybody on the side of the street, you'd give them money. Is there anything I can do for you? Is there any help that you need? That extra inch. She always did that, which takes so much energy, like, yes, out of a does. person to do that. Yeah. And, like. Well, especially when you're in an area, I mean, like, the he- more heavily populated areas in California and here, Ooh, like. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and you can become numb to it so easily, which is, it's, like, sad, but also it's, like, part of what you have to do to be able to make it right. through otherwise your energy is just sapped anyway yeah it's amazing to me when a person is that generous with right. their energy yeah um anyway her aunt denise taught duvernay to love art she was a nurse who never had any children ava also says she doesn't plan to have kids and is incredibly private about her romantic life hmm. there were some articles that said who she's been linked to romantically but if she's private about it then i don't really want to yeah that's not go into something it. we need to discuss. she's been connected with men and has been she will say like i have a boyfriend but i'm not going to talk about it <laughs> and doesn't plan to have children fair enough that was interesting for uh. um her aunt denise also showed her that art and activism could be combined she was a registered nurse who worked night shifts so she could pursue her passion during the day which was art and literature and theater ava says she was a patroness she worked to live but what she loved in life was the arts she was fed by it that was a huge influence on me her mother was socially conscious, and both of those women taught her that you could say something through art. Denise took Ava to see a stage production of A Chorus Line <laughs> and Warren Beatty's three-hour Russian Revolution epic, Reds. <laughs> oh, God. She also loved music, whether lecturing about the underappreciated genius of U2's The Unforgettable Fire or Blasting Brahms. <laughs> She's got varied tastes. Mm-hmm. A wide set of interests. Quote, like, you know, you walk into a house in Compton and there's classical music playing, says DuVernay. People were like, turn that shit down. <laughs> it's like, you know, Bach or something. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> From the start, DuVernay's family loomed large in her work. Aunt Denise's struggle with breast cancer, she died in 2003, inspired Aww. her 2010 feature debut, I Will Follow. Her Los mm. Angeles childhood, with the backdrop of hovering police copters and the tactical brutality in the era of Chief Daryl Gates, connected her to 13th, the 2016 documentary centered on a justice system that targets people of color. Mm. It's no wonder that her youngest sister, Tara, who works at Equal Justice Initiative, a nonprofit group made up of attorneys who defend the accused, helped out on that project. Interesting. Selma, DuVernay's Big Breakthrough, which I think is just their editorializing. I think you can argue a lot of things. Um, Maybe a historical drama about one of the country's most famous civil rights campaigns. But for DuVernay, it was also personal. Murray May, her stepfather, the man she considers her real father, came from Alabama and as a boy watched the marchers pass. Oh, man. So Ava DuVernay didn't go to film school. Um, She went to UCLA and majored in English and African-American studies. Okay. And for a while, she wanted to go into journalism, but she did an internship with CBS uh, during the O.J. Simpson trial, and she found herself assigned to a juror and was told to go through the juror's trash. Whoa. And became really disillusioned with the media system, and she felt really gross doing it. Well, it's exploitative, and Mm -hmm. when your whole family has been, like, telling you for your entire life that you can say something really important through art and here she is like digging through someone's trash to exploit them like that sucks that does suck i could see why that would be the moment yeah but the internship gave her a window into how publicist worked Mm. and after she graduated she took a job at a small publicity firm and Hmm. before long apparently she founded her own agency 
Whoa. Mm-hmm. So she had like really an entire career mm-hmm. before. Yep. That's fascinating. Yep. Um, sorry, I have to burp. <laughs> I just need to come out so it doesn't. Come out. Come out. Okay. There it was. Nice. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so she found that she was really good at being a publicist. Like she really flourished in that job. Um, and making movies was never her plan at all. Um, her debut movie, 2008's This Is The Life, is a raw documentary about the hip-hop scene at a cafe she performed at as Eve. And it was done simply to document a fleeting moment. Interesting. But I Will Follow, released two years later, marked a shift as she realized she had stories to tell. Aha. Uh-huh. The film took 11 days to shoot. Oh, cost oh my God. Cost $50,000. And featured a small unpaid performance from Blair Underwood. Um, and he did her a favor of doing it unpaid because of how hard she worked as a publicist for his series, City of Angels. Oh, all right. So she was like, she was doing some good work as a publicist. Mm-hmm. Like she had good work, good clients, like big clients. So she was kind of networking a little bit too mm-hmm. through that. Interesting. Yep. And as she moved behind the camera, she realized how much she learned from hanging out on sets because she was on Spielberg sets, Eastwood sets, and like other directors. Um, oh, yeah, that she makes beefed sense. up her technique quickly by religiously listening to directors' audio commentaries on DVDs uh-huh. and taking private classes on directing. Uh, I just, okay, I feel like it, that's worth noting because so many people in our industry industries think that they can just like dive in without any, without any guidance without like you know paying your dues or learning how to do what you're what you want to do like taking classes is important for a lot of the things that people want to do in our industry and i think it's amazing that she found time to do that Mm -hmm. and made that a priority yep so her next film was middle of nowhere which came out in 2012 and it marked an artistic leap for her um which the the film told the story of Ruby, a nurse trying to cope with her husband going to jail. She made that film for $200,000 and it introduced her to David Oyelowo. Oh. Who obviously played MLK in Selma. Yep. Um, he's a British actor and he in turn brought that film, Middle of Nowhere, to Oprah Winfrey when he was working on Lee Daniels, the butler. Oh. And Winfrey was so moved by the film that she Googled Duvernay. And Oprah says, I loved her face, her warmth. I loved her glasses. And I thought, I'm going to be friends with this person. <laughs> like, can you imagine having Oprah just decide she's going to be your friend? I like the look of you. Let's be friends. <laughs> um, their friendship has meant sharing birthdays with each other and also a table at the Golden Globes where Duvernay snapped a selfie with Denzel Washington before watching Winfrey's powerful speech. Aww. And their relationship obviously also deepened away from public events and the red carpet and um she turned to oprah during a vulnerable moment after selma Mm -hmm. the film had been a huge success obviously after it ava duvernay expected offers to start rolling in yeah marvel did talk to her about black panther though she decided their visions didn't match interesting so she decided that wasn't the project for her yeah which is i think very much in line with her whole thing She's very picky and always has been about, like, I have to really want to do a thing and everybody has to be on board with the way I want to do it. 
And if it doesn't line up, then it's not a project for me and good luck to you. Right. You know? Um, but anyway, so she was down in New Orleans scouting locations for Queen Sugar, which is a mm. series that she did. Yep. And she was feeling unsure. I think of it's her... on Hulu right it probably now. probably is. I think it's on Hulu. Um, And she was feeling unsure about her next film. So she knew she wanted to do another movie. Yeah. And expected offers to just start coming <laughs> in because she had an Oscar nominated film. Uh-oh. Imagine. Yep. I saw somebody post recently, actually, and this is just going a little off topic, is that being nominated for an Oscar, I, I think regardless of like what category, what job you're doing, if you're a man who gets Oscar nominated, especially if you win, mm-hmm. um, no, maybe it is about winning specifically. If you win, your salary tends to double. And women, wow. it's only a difference of like $200,000 max. Jesus. Like it's a barely a shift. Fuck. If you win an Oscar. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. I don't know. There's I don't know the validity of that, but somebody posted that they Wouldn't I think on Facebook me. that they read it. And I was like, holy shit. And they're it like, does not Let's surprise discuss. me. Well, I mean, it's like that phenomenon where like a woman uh directs the first film in a successful series and then they be once it's You're talking about Patty Jenkins? I'm talking about Patty Jenkins. I'm I'm even talking to about um to all the boys who I think had a woman director the first time and now the second one was directed by a man named michael something and um yeah like but it, they gave it to a woman the first time because they didn't realize how successful it was going to be so yep. they didn't they were like oh yeah you can have this yep and then once it made money then it was like oh, okay now men need to have this mm-hmm. yep so it does not surprise me if that were true yeah so she said or she was thinking I need a movie. I need a movie. Why am I not making a movie? Why don't I have what all my white boy counterparts have? (laughs) She remembers thinking, he's the whipping boy for all this, and he's such a nice guy, but how does Colin Trevorrow go from Jurassic World straight into Star Wars? You know what I mean? From the little indie we both did, sitting side by side at Sundance with our films in 2012, and goes from that to Jurassic World to Star Wars, and I go from that to Selma, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing else on the horizon? That didn't feel good, and it had me in a depressed place. Not that depressed, but just desperate. I felt desperate, and I was trying to make something happen. So she called her friend Oprah, who was at home in bed. Immediately, Oprah was struck by how, like, sad and down Ava sounded. Mm. And um, Oprah says, I remember sitting up and putting on my glasses so I could hear better. I realized this was a bigger moment than just friends on the phone having a conversation. Her message would be direct. Duvernay, she said, needed to stop feeling desperate. She couldn't just take anything that came along. Her path was too important. It's not about phone calls. It's not about your perception, Winfrey said. It's about what you've actually come here to do. Look where you are right now. You're in New Orleans looking for locations to create from scratch this idea that you have for a television series. How many people have ever been able to do what you're doing right now? And when you when you can relax into understanding that, there's a bigger thing, bigger than you are. They spent two hours on the phone. The next day, after DuVernay joined her crew to start scouting for Queen Sugar, she got a pair of emails. One was from Spielberg's production company, asking her to consider making a film with Lupita (laughs) Nyong'o. Oh, would you just consider this, please? The other was from Disney about A Wrinkle in Time. Mm -hmm. When asked about her career, she says, I try to be a shapeshifter and do lots of things. A, because I can. B, because the traditional walls collapsed, so there's more flexibility. And C, because you can't hit a moving target. Her social consciousness and her appreciation of good art not only inform her work, but they inform how she works as well. 
In planning for Queen Sugar, which has run for two seasons on Oprah's network and has been approved for a third, she made a list of possible directors and then noticed that they were all women. (laughs) I thought we should commit to this. At a time in the industry when there's a lack of opportunity for women, we could really use our platform here to say something important about correcting a wrong. A total of 17 women directed the 29 episodes of the first two seasons. I love that. So only women direct for Queen Sugar. Fuck yes. Mm -hmm. And then this, we're going to delve a little bit into uh, When They See Us, because I also just recently watched it. And I know I was way behind, but... I I, haven't watched it yet. It's heavy and it's hard. That's why I haven't. It will make you cry. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was dragging my feet, because I knew it was good. I finally (laughs) watched it, and I wept openly on an airplane. And um, oh god, but so I'll delve into this a little (laughs) bit since that's her most recent like big thing, right? Um, so in the ambitious, expansive four part Netflix miniseries When They See Us, Duvernay tells a difficult, prescient tale of racial profiling, injustice, lost innocence, and media misinformation over a 25 year time span. Which it's funny since the start of her career was about her starting to ask questions about the media and the way it works, yeah. It was very much in my mind that this will be some people's first interaction, not just with this case, but with all of the different layers of the criminal justice system, she says. And then uh, for anybody who doesn't know, though, I have a feeling that pretty much everybody who listens to our podcast would probably have some idea. So uh, when they see us is about um, April 19th, 1989, when a 28 year old investment banker named Trisha Miley was beaten and raped while jogging in Central Park. Yep. And her assault led to the arrest and conviction of a group of uh underage like the oldest was uh 16 and the youngest was 13 group of black and latino boys uh antron mccray yusuf salam Corey wise raymond santana and kevin richardson and they came to be known as the central park five um or as the tabloids called them while they were being held in the station and violently coerced into confessing to crimes they didn't commit and for which they'd be exonerated 13 years later a wolf pack or roving gang wow Wow. So Duvernay. No bias there. Yeah. Duvernay was 16 when the Central Park 5 case was going on. And it's obviously that's the same age as Corey Wise when Corey Wise was on trial. Um, She was living obviously on the opposite coast and remembers calling her cousins in New York to ask them what wilding meant because that was the word used in a New York Daily News headline. Um, Three days after the assault to describe the boys who were said to be randomly attacking anyone they found. What the fuck? Her cousins told her the phrase wasn't wilding. It was actually wilding out and that it only meant hanging out. That's all that term meant, because that was one of the things when the cops were asking the boys, like, what were you doing in the park? They said they were wilding. And so then they like these like white prosecutors and detectives were like, we don't know what that means, but clearly it means something violent. Chaotic. Yeah. It's just it was just a slang term for hanging out. Fucking Christ. So, but that term stuck in the media and became a uh, um, like negative connotation. Like negative connotation, it was a pernicious shorthand for black mischief. Fuck. The then mayor of New York, Ed Koch, referred to the assault as the crime of the century. Oh please! While a haughty young real estate scion named Donald Trump spent eighty-five thousand dollars on a full-page advertisement calling for the boys to be put to death. Thanks, Donald. Good thing nothing ever came of that guy. Oh, yeah. Good thing he's not uh, amassing troops uh, to enter sanctuary cities to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun, right? That's fun. Super fun. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, we can cut that. I'm just... No, no. Keep it in. Ooh. 
Um, so Ava said, at the time I wanted to be a lawyer and because I thought I was a few short steps from the courtroom that I would be following <laughs> cases. But the Central Park case left her disenchanted with the press and what seemed to be the skewed and extrajudicial workings of the criminal justice system. Yeah. I'm feeling mushmouthed today. I'm always feeling mushmouthed. I feel like me more than you. Um, She says that she saw a direct relationship between the kids in her neighborhood and the boys on the news. Um, The fact that wilding out became wilding, became wolf pack, became animals. Fuck. I remember clocking it and thinking, wow, they're saying stuff on the news that isn't true. Oh, God. And this is something I didn't know. It was in her Twitter mentions that the idea of a project about the Central Park Five was floated by none other than Raymond Santana, who was only 14 when he was sentenced to five to 10 years in juvie. He said, quote, what's your next film going to be on? Hashtag the Central Park Five, hashtag CP5, hashtag Central Park Five. Maybe? Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Hashtag wishful thinking. Hashtag fingers crossed. Oh. That was in 2015. And she... Direct messaged him in response, and the rest is history. Oh, my God. That makes me want to cry. I know. Shit. Um, as for the future, she signed a deal with Netflix worth a reported $100 million. Yeah, girl. She is slated to direct a film adaptation of DC Comics' The New Gods, which he explained to me a little what that's going to be about, because I didn't know. He's like, oh, she's doing a DC movie. I was like, what? Yeah, what the fuck? I haven't heard that. And this made me really excited. She's slated to do a documentary about Prince. Oh. For which she has the blessing of his estate. <laughs> oh, damn. Which is amazing because they're very selective. As they should be. Yes. Um, she's also the most followed film director on Twitter, where she routinely pulls off that high wire act of promoting her work and creating a personality aligned with and independent of it. A brand, if you will. It's almost as if she has a background in <laughs> I was PR. I going to say, that's what comes from being a publicist. So, but... The one thing that made me want to cry when I was doing my research on her um, and something I want to finish off, this is how I want to finish this, encapsulate all of it. It's a specific excerpt from the Washington Post article that Jeff Edgers wrote um, because it really hits home for me why I think that Ava DuVernay is exactly the type of storyteller that we need to be lifting up and why I believe she should be a paradigm of the industry to emulate moving forward. The thing, exact thing we were talking about this morning over breakfast. So. Yes. Here we go. Okay. Approaching midnight on a Friday, DuVernay pops out of her office at Disney and down the hall to see a pair of her staffers at their computers. This is when she was working on Wrinkle in Time. Gosh, she says, what do you think? What's your ETA? Well, one of them says it was 12. Now I'm going with 2 a.m. What? DuVernay says. Can I get you anything? Pinkberry? No, we're okay. Back in her office, DuVernay is told that this is probably not standard practice. It's unlikely Martin Scorsese has ever offered to make Froyo runs for his crew. Oh, yeah. Quote, I mean, it's 1130 at night on a Friday and both those women have children. So I'm just like, sorry, they have to be here, she says. This is the culture she creates. It comes from the dozen years she worked as a movie publicist before going into directing. She watched how people were treated on set. Quote, I very much try not to and don't make it a habit of treating my actors any differently than I treat the gaffer or the grip or the craft services manager or hair and makeup because we're all making the movie. She says, because I used to be crew and I would see the hierarchy and I always thought I won't do that because this is a grown man. I would see grips and gaffers and, you know, dolly grips pushing things around all day and being treated like shit. And they would just remind me, gosh, that's somebody's father. 
that applies to how she builds a crew. And this made me think about Carmilla and what you were talking about. Yeah, not to compare me to Ava DuVernay at but, all. But, but like, it's a it's similar something mindset. something that I think you want for film moving forward, just like I do. Yeah. So Reese Witherspoon says she has never, in over 40 plus films in her career, seen a team as diverse as the one that DuVernay put together. Mm. Quote, I said, how did you do that? She said... Whenever I was presented with an option, I was told there were no other choices for people for every job. And then she replied, I want to see every single resume for every job. Again, the type of energy it takes to do that is insane. Yep. Her ability to find, elevate, and keep talent that can be seen across her staff is like something she's like really skilled at. Um, her lead editor, Spencer Averick, who I will point out is a white man. Okay. If anybody wants to talk about white men being pushed out, her her main lead <laughs> yeah. editor that she's been with for decades, <laughs> um, or about a decade, I guess. Um, he studied film at San Francisco University, had almost no experience when he took a uh, job editing on her first film in 08, Aww. and he's worked with her ever since. Damn. That's a it, partnership. Like, yes. Um, Tulane Jones, I hope I'm saying her first name right. It's T-I-L-A-N-E, Tulane. Um, she's 44. She met DuVernay in 2008, or she was 44 a couple years ago. Anyway, um, she started as an office assistant and she had left college early, but DuVernay could see she was organized, passionate and smart. Today, she's mm-hmm. vice president of Array, which is her distribution company, and has so far distributed 17 films. Damn. The friendships Oyelowo developed on the sets of Middle of Nowhere in Selma are unlike any before or since. He says, she's literally like a blood sister to me. That's to do with her. It's by no means the norm, and it's what she brings out in people. Even as Ugh. DuVernay searches for new talent, she also doesn't forget artists who came before her. Take Julie Dash, who directed 1991's uh, Daughters of the Dust, mm. which was the first feature directed by an African-American woman to get a theatrical release. God 1991. Within our life. <sighs> mm-hmm. After that movie, Fuck. Julie Dash struggled to get other films going. Last season, DuVernay not only hired her to direct Queen Sugar episodes, she's done her best to make sure Dash is also in the right rooms. Quote, every event that she goes to pretty much, she invites me, says Dash, who's like in her 60s now. To her birthday party, the Essence Awards, living in Hollywood events, she understands it's not about a single person being successful. It is about a wave of women filmmakers having access. Oh, no, I am going to (laughs) cry. And that's the end of that. So thanks, Jeff Edgers, for that insight. Ugh, I into love her, that. The culture that she creates and the way she wants to be. Because I've seen it on sets, too. Well, you see it on every set. You see it on that, that, like, this is how it is. This is, you know, we treat people this way on set. And directors get to be treated this way on set. And assistants have to work until 4 a.m. And that's just how it is. And they don't get paid shit. And, and they don't get paid shit. And that's and just who we are. they don't get credited. Their names aren't... In- I'm just inserting my, my own. <laughs> yeah. But, like... But it is, it's a problem. And we continue to perpetuate it because the same people get the same uh, opportunities over and over and over and over again. And when you are somebody who was not given those opportunities and you come from a different, you know, background and job experience and all of that, like, I think that you end up being the type of person who wants to create that paradigm shift. Yeah. And it's not that fucking hard. Well, when you have opportunity. When you have, but it's not hard to be like, you know what? 
I want to hire someone other than the white son of the guy who I went to screenwriting at USC with. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not actually that difficult. And we just have to put in the fucking time, but also we have to have that mindset. We have to be prepared to Because it to does do take that. a little more energy to do things differently than the way it's been done for decades. Yeah, but the people are there. You know, and it's like, it's it's doable. It's possible. It's not actually, there. there's that excuse you see going around, well, well, the most qualified guy that I could find was this cis white dude from wherever who went to film school at but UCLA, you blah, blah, blah. you just have to give someone an opportunity even if they don't have the qualifications yet. If they have the 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 personality and the, the, the sort of chutzpah to want it well yeah and the intelligence that's all it takes and i can tell you that the quote most qualified on paper is not always the one like you said with the most you know enthusiasm or the most brain power it's it's almost always never that person who's the most (laughs) talented for the job exactly so like sometimes it's the person who just comes in and they're maybe they don't have the resume that you're looking for, but they're a fucking problem solver, mm-hmm. or they have way more enthusiasm for this than the other guy. Like yeah. there are other parameters and other qualifications that we're not taught to look for unless we are someone like Ava, right? And that's why we need to be bringing more people like Ava into those industries because, like, because shit needs to change. She's incredible. But she's only one person, so it's really cool that she is trying to give opportunities to others for the opportunities that she's been given or wishes she has been been given. Because she had an Oscar-nominated film and then was like, nobody was knocking down (laughs) my door asking me to come do things. Whereas my, you know, friend who's a really nice guy who was doing the same level of work as me in 2012 was like, step up, step up, step up, these huge budget films. Yep. And like, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve opportunity, but just compare the two of us and ask yourself why. Yep. Yep. So anyway, important. she's fucking awesome. And When They See Us is amazing. And I really loved Wrinkle in Time. Me too. I, I don't know if it's like a question of maybe it's because I'm a person who doesn't have a father. Like, like my father yeah. passed away when I was young, like went through that whole thing. And like when they were reunited and I was like, oh, my God. But I also loved the book. I loved the changes she made, but still stayed, stayed faithful to the spirit of the story. Yeah. And like what's I know that like commercially it was considered kind of a flop, but it still made over $100 million. Oh, yeah. I think it was fine. I, I don't think it. It depends on like how much the actual budget was, but I'm not sure how long it took to recoup how much it cost. Yeah, I don't know. But I just don't think it's like, again, we were talking about this before we started recording about things not being for everyone. Like, Ringland Time is maybe not a story for everybody that they're going to want. They should. It's a sensitive, beautiful story. But I think also it's probably because there's a female heroine and a girl who's the lead. And especially when you make her a mixed race girl. And well, go, well, she's white in the book. I'm like, yeah, the book was written. We talked about the book in one of our first episodes. The book was written by a white woman in like the 1960s. So, and I, this also what we were talking about before we started uh, podcasting about how sometimes people just, if like they don't, they have internalized misogyny or sexism or something and they just don't want to listen to women yeah. talking. Yeah. And, and that is a real issue. <sighs> anyway. 
Anyway, I love Ava DuVernay. And I'm really glad that she is telling stories with like a loving, justice-driven eye and that she fosters a really welcoming, loving, warm community. And I just, I'm, I yeah, love her. Yeah, she's the whole package. She's not just a brilliant artist, but she is somebody who is fostering a really like beautiful work environment. And that is huge. And she should be making all the things. I agree. Or, or picking people to make other things. Yeah, I agree. Let's find more Ava DuVernay's too. Let's just have, yeah, let's get, get like so that we have more hundreds more like her making films that are high profile. Good plan. Okay. Done. <laughs> Thank you. You're so excited. You're I welcome. Was. I thought you would like that one. I do. That's like, she's perfect for me. I know. <laughs> the more <laughs> I, I was that. researching, I was like, Hannah's going to love this one. I'm so but glad you I know you, you already her. loved her, but like, I didn't know any of her like background like, no she i didn't either i knew the it. fact that she wasn't a director until 2008 and then decided to really hone on in on it and take classes and yeah that's such a shock to me and i it's funny because you said that selma was her breakout movie and and you weren't sure that that was true but that's definitely what i remember seeing like when i started hearing about ava duvernay was when selma came out yeah I think um, it brought her her name to the mainstream. I think so. Because obviously she'd been making stuff prior to that. but Right. But $200,000 for for your feature versus however much Selma cost, which I have to assume was, was a, a lot, lot more, more. Um, is, is a big difference. Yeah. But anyway, yes, I love her. And now, um, now I'm going to have to gear up and sit down and actually watch When They See Us because the only reason I've resisted it is just because I know, know it's know heavy. It's gonna be, yeah. I know it's good. It's not because I have any resistance to watching good and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. You know you're going to be really affected by it. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes with our lives and our jobs, we just want to watch something mindless <laughs> or oh, something God. feel good. And Boy, none, do we nothing, ever. But it does have a positive sort of end. None of it makes you feel good, but I just feel really glad that all of them have been exonerated. Yeah. And that they seem to have moved forward with their lives, but not that they should ever have been subjected to what they were put through in the first place. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know that much about it because obviously we were babies when mm-hmm. it was happening. And yeah. I didn't really hear anything about it. Yeah, it's good to see it brought to light now. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. That was awesome. And also, when I was looking at, as I, I needed to confirm to myself how to say Oyelowo. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm stupid and I just look at it and my brain goes, because <laughs> I don't want to do, say it wrong, but Oyelowo is correct. But then it reminded me how he did um, a United Kingdom which was oh, an yeah. Ama Asante film, and she's another really talented um, black female director. She's mm-hmm. British, and she did Belle. And um, she also did that movie recently um, with Amanda, Amanda Stenberg about uh, Nazi Germany, about oh, like highlighting that there were black youths living in Germany, like black people were in Germany at the time. <laughs> you what? never really think about it, yep. which again relates to that tweet you made. Yep. Um. And so, I don't know, Amasante is another really talented um, black female director, just to... Just to put that out there? Put that out there. All right. Do you have some on this day for us? I do, and they're weird. <laughs> oh, good. Mid-February, I guess. <laughs> no. So, it's uh, February 19th. So, 
On February 19th, 1600, the Peruvian stratovolcano Huayna Putina explodes in the most violent eruption in the recorded history of South America. Oh, no. So hopefully that thing is dormant now. Fuck, yeah, because we're due, if not. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, 1847, the first group of rescuers reaches the Donner Party. Oh, fuck. The Donner Party. <laughs> Remind us what the Donner Party is for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> uh, some um, pioneers heading west who uh, got caught in the middle of the mountains in winter and started eating each other as they passed away. Yep. Wee. Wee. Really weird and gross. That um, was in the California mountains? Was it the... Or was it... The Northwest? I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway. But anyway, cannibalism. Fun scary when you think about Oregon Trail and how you had to not leave too late otherwise you'd get stuck in winter that's why oh God. Um, so 1913 and I again sorry don't know how to say this name Pedro Lascurain Lascurain maybe becomes president of Mexico for 45 minutes and it is the shortest term to date of any person as president of any country <laughs> oh no and I think it just had to do with there had been a coup I don't know I didn't look too much into it but I was like how the fuck did that happen and it was like there had been a coup so they were setting up a new government and they like named this guy president for a sec and then they were like no 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 we're gonna have this guy be president or something I mean this is what happens when we do on this day is we're literally (laughs) looking up like the single line about what happened on that day yep we don't have the details 1942 U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs signs Executive Order 9066, allowing the U.S. military to relocate Japanese Americans to internment camps. Whoa. Which we've talked about a few times on this podcast. Yes, we have. So that was on this day in 1942. Wow. Um, Oh, my God. But then uh, in 1976, 1976, that's so many years later, um, Executive Order 9066 is rescinded by President Gerald Ford's proclamation 4417. So it was officially rescinded in the 70s. Even though Holy they Holy shit. Yeah. Like it was an oversight or something? I or, guess. Or... And it was on the same day. February 19th. Wow. But my last one, February 19th, 1963, the publication of Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique reawakens <laughs> the feminist movement in the United States as women's organizations and consciousness raising groups spread. Uh oh! I thought that was a good one for this feminism. So oh no. <laughs> <laughs> of what are you excited about this week? Um. Well, yeah. Speaking of of movies about and by women, I saw Birds of Prey yesterday. So good. And I cannot stop thinking about it. Not just because it's like so fun and you know Margot Robbie's great and blah blah blah, but because well of she ha- is, but well, she is. I mean, yeah, she's incredible, but. It's so well made. Also directed by a woman of color. Directed by a woman of color, Kathy Yan, written by Christina Hodson. Produced by Margot Robbie. Produced by Margot Robbie um, for less money than any of the other DC movies have had. Mm -hmm. And which kind of makes me think that she had a little bit more free reign than probably they meant to give her because they just weren't paying that much attention. Yeah. Um, But also that's probably why they didn't market it all that well. Right. So go see this movie if you want fucking women making movies, because that's the only way we're going to convince people that women can make well, movies plus that make money. It's so good. And like, it's so good. It's my, it's to me, besides the Dark Knight movies, it's the best made DC movie. Wonder Woman, though. 
I didn't particularly I love Wonder Woman. I, I thought Wonder Woman had a lot of problems. I but I felt girl. like I mean Wonder Woman had great things about it. This one it. is more your speed though. This I one's think. more my speed, but also just like in terms of structure and just like how it's written, it felt really, really solid in a way that like Wonder Woman, I had so many fucking questions. Sure. At the end of it, which to me just you know, also I don't love Zack Snyder, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of issues there. But Birds of Prey, really well done, really well made, yeah, super Ewan fun. Ewan McGregor is delightful. Ewan McGregor is delightful. Chris Messina is delightful and scary. And it's just really great. So, And, and it's not your typical sort of superhero or anti-hero movie even. No. It just is its own thing. It's its own thing, but so true to the characters and the world surrounding them, I think. Like Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is like the most Harley Quinn. You know what I mean? I mean, sure. I, I certainly would never qualify myself as any expert on Harley Quinn. There was a lot of effort put in to, on her part to be like... I would agree. You know, yeah. uh, true to the source material. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to go see it again, probably at some point. So that's what I'm excited about. It's just, yeah. it, made my, it made my whole weekend... Yay. And uh, I think that... Yeah, that should be it for this week. I think that wraps us up. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, You can find us on social media all over the place, at GWBB Podcast. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can email us about your ladies that you like that we might not know about, um, gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. We're on Ko-Fi and Patreon slash gwbbpodcast. Correct. And that's that. Peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All All of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.